The battle of Britain is about to begin. Welcome back to the Leap Sheet Podcast. Tonight, we will be delving deeper into the tournament scene and the results from Adepticon. So fortunately, we have most of the team with us tonight. We've got Brett, the man who puts the F in Blue Falcon. Brett, how are you doing tonight? <laughs> it's only half a word, right? Exactly, buddy's just half the word for you, buddy. But, uh, you know, not to be outdone, the man behind Blue Falcon Hobbies, Steve, a man who's destroyed more virtual MiG-21s than the entire Israeli Air Force. Welcome tonight, Steve. Good to have you on. Yeah, if, when it's a virtual life, there's no reason to eject. I've learned that. I, I noticed that. I watched your stream and you ejected faithfully the first time and the second time you just wrote it in, bitching all the way. Ride it in. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I was I was laughing. Well, Casey isn't with us tonight, but that's all right. We're going to press on without him. Uh, we're going to talk about some of the things we've seen, some of the stuff that's going on, and then we'll delve right into the tournament bullshit because <laughs> I don't care about it, but I'm going to talk about it anyway because, you know, we've got thousands of followers that are hanging on our every word to find out what the skinny on the tournament is. But first, let's talk about our upcoming events. So, uh, taking a bit of a break. Well, really, work's kicking my ass for the next couple months. Um, but Twisted Lords, uh, Steve, I think you're planning to try to make it there uh, July 14th, 16th. Is that right? Oh, 100%. I'm, I'm locked in, man. I can't wait. Hell yeah. I haven't bought my ticket. I guess I better get around to that. <laughs> I've been such a slacker here lately. Uh, but yeah, we'll be out there in Oklahoma City, Twisted Lords, uh, John Russell's personal uh, wargaming party out there. And we're going to hang out, uh, do some Blood Red Skies, probably do some Aeronautica, do some streaming. We'll figure it all out drink a lot of beer. Uh, it should be fun. Uh, then I will roll to NashCon. I guess everyone else is deserting me. That's all right. I get it. You have much more important things to do. Uh, August 18th to 20th, I will do NashCon again, which is always a good time. And they always roll out the red carpet for us. So that uh, will be another chance to do some Blood Red Skies, hopefully some more Aeronautica, and have, uh, have, have a good time, at least close to home for me. So I won't have to travel that far. Last event uh, on the schedule, you notice I don't have Crucible on the schedule. Uh, I haven't decided to tempt fate again and try to uh, fly in hurricane season. Uh, but uh, Siege of Vicksburg, October 20th, 21st. There is still tentatively the Steve Toth Memorial Blood Red Skies Tournament. <laughs> so, Steve, hey, I'll tell the rumors of your death are greatly exaggerated. If we don't do a Crucible, I think I might be uh, reincarnated for the Siege of Vicksburg. <laughs> put, in, put in an appearance there. Yeah, that'll be good. That'll be a little bit weird to have you at your own memorial, uh, you know, uh, tournament there. But uh, that will not be in Vicksburg. It'll be adjacent to Vicksburg. It'll be just north uh, or just outside of Jackson. Um, nice little place they've got there. So go take a look at the website, register. Uh, they got a couple different tournaments going. Uh, let me think here. AO, um, Age of Sigmar tournaments, a bunch of other stuff. So it should be a good time. All right. Any other events that people think they're going to? Uh, I know we're skipping out on Historicon. I already got counseled severely this weekend about that, but we're going to do Twisted Lords instead. All right. Let's talk about what we've seen. So there's a 700-pound gorilla in the room, the Wing Commander book. I'm going to jump ahead of myself. We're going to talk about that just for a second. Uh, lots of stuff from the community in there. I think... Most everybody who's been in the Blood Red Skies Ready Room Facebook group has seen a lot of this stuff before, at least, but it's obviously cleaned up and put together and uh, pretty fancy. So you two assholes, you're going to get your chance. You get to go uh, to the big dance here, you know, and be published. So uh, the uh, the Blood Red Skies campaign system is there, along with a bunch of tactic stuff and a bunch of other scenarios. So you guys excited about that? I hope. Yeah, I can't wait to see see it. Uh you know, I haven't I haven't gotten any kind of preview copy or anything like that. So I'm just like everybody else. I don't I don't uh, I don't have any uh, early early release. So I'd like to see. Can't wait to get my exactly. hands on it. Exactly. 
Yeah, everyone keeps asking me for that, and I keep laughing, going, "Yeah, I've got uh, as much as everybody else—a whole lot of nothing." <laughs> Steve, you're gonna be happy to see your name in print. Yeah, I'm, I don't know—is my name gonna be in print? That's I don't know. A lot it might be Steve Tooth. So <laughs> that's a lot of accountability if it's in yeah. print, and if people don't like it, they know who to yell at. I don't know. <laughs> I laughed. The first image uh, was one of the facing pages from it was something I'd put in there. Oh, it was the uh, the AI system, the how to play solo against uh, against an AI, and uh, yeah, I laughed like, well, crap, my name's now on that. So there's there's no blaming anyone for that one except me. Uh, that's that's okay. I'll take the blame. I fully right, expect well, that talk- pl- oh. plenty of it's changed, you know, or altered in some way just to oh, make yeah. it, you know, fit better or, you know, whatever, which is fine because uh, kind of our mantra has always been, I got my copy. Uh, yeah, exactly. But, so, you know, it, it'd just be fun to see, you know, kind of what contribution we were able to make. That's cool. I have my limited edition illegally per, uh, published by Mariner Games under a unauthorized license uh, copy with cover art that was actually licensed. So I'm I'm still still a little bitter about that. I we got uh, we got to use that cover art somewhere else. I have to contact Paul and say, hey man, I, I got another uh, got another good deal for you. <laughs> All right, so let's go to the the miniatures we've seen. Uh, twin engines first. Bombers, the HE-111 is out there, it's coming out, and so is the B-26B. They should both be out next month, I believe. I think they're both May releases. Uh, and a B-26 Ace for the B-26 Flakbait, uh, which will be uh, pretty cool to have another Bomber Ace out there with some more traits and things. Um, I know 3D printed HE-111s have been pretty popular already. But the nice thing is at least you're going to get cards, you're going to get stands, uh, and it will be good to see the Warlord models. because I've seen the the photos of the ones that display cat, but they look pretty good. So um, hopefully with the new Warlord resin, everything holds up and those print pretty well. And I am excited for the B26Bs. Those will be good. All right. Uh, the ones that I'm more excited about than anything else are the uh, F86 and MiG-15s getting resculpted in the new 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 recently released warlord resin so those will be good to come back they've got a couple aces as well uh you've got jabara and you've got bolt so yes we have a u.s marine flying an f-86 uh i feel a small moment of happiness there john russell probably died a little bit inside when he saw that <laughs> uh but we've also got uh, mig-15 aces uh from the north koreans and from the chinese so those will be good we'll talk we'll take a look at their traits and talk about those uh in a different episode we just want to really kind of concentrate on tonight's big topic uh which is tournaments and the last note kind of administrative note uh yes we finally got our restock at lead pursuit so if you're looking for some warlord gear uh some specific boxes and they're all out of stock uh that is by design we have moved a lot of that stuff uh, at adeptcon and and uh, sold a lot off so we just got a restock that stuff should be up on their website by the time this episode drops. So you shouldn't see a bunch of stuff out of stock except for Blue Falcon Hobbies. So subtle, subtle promo there for Steve. Give me some acrylic. Give me some neoprene clouds one of these days. It's <laughs> acrylic measuring sticks. Yeah, yeah they're all coming. Hey, and it's selling out so quick. What can I, you do? I know it, it sold out almost every uh, last little bit of it at uh, Adepticon. I think we have like two bags of tokens left. Uh, which is good. So that means people are picking stuff up. People are playing the game. Uh, so it's, it's definitely a good thing to hear. And if you did not catch it uh, in either our uh, Facebook post or in any of the Warlord Facebook posts, John Russell uh, and his uh, his merry band were on the Angry Joe Twitch stream. So they were over there playing Blood Red Skies. I think they played uh, some multi-engine uh, against some fighters and a couple different things. So go take a look at that. Uh, and then we can all debrief John on whether he got the rules right or not. I'm willing to bet he made at least one mistake that he'll owe us beer for. So we'll work through it. All right. Let's talk about tournaments. Okay. Get my happy place. Try to remember that I don't hate everyone in a tournament, even though I hate everyone in a tournament. Do you guys enjoy tournaments? Brett, did you like, did you like the tournament? Well, of course I wasn't playing in it, but uh, I was, I was in heads down display mode the whole time. So I don't get, get to, did not get to see a whole lot of the table action, but I like tournaments. I don't, you know, I know you always talk crap about it as a TO that you don't enjoy all that process, but yeah, I thought it was and a yet, good time. Here I am. <laughs> <laughs> Steve, did you enjoy the tournament? I know you were glued to the stream deck, so you were busting your ass while the rest of us were making fun of everything going on. 
I did like it. I uh, enjoyed the parts of it that I kind of got to watch from, you know, right basically next to the action there at the table. Uh, but it is funny how I was so close, but I still felt like I was very much just out of the loop what was going on. But uh, yeah, I thought it was a good time. So you're kind of like a porn cameraman, you know, you're within inches of the action, but you're really not a part of any of it. So yeah, yeah. There's my analogy for the night. Congratulations. We're an E-rated podcast. Don't let your kids listen to this. All right. Let's talk about the format changes because that was one of the biggest shifts. Uh, there were a couple a couple there, but that was a big one. We went away from scenario one, dogfight, to scenario two. Uh, that way we could have high cover. That way the, the, uh, the system for determining advantage was a little bit different. Uh, I don't think it caused any problems. Did anyone kind of catch any, any difficulty with people flying scenario two instead of scenario one? I'll take that as a no. That's a good I thing. I think scenario two is a is a definite win. Yeah. So I, I just from the deployment standpoint, watching people kind of do, you know, different different strategies during deployment. Uh, yeah, I think scenario two is definitely a win. And it, actually, the first couple of times it happened, I was like, is somebody playing like a doctrine card or a, uh, you know, I think there's a doctrine card that gives you the high cover if you want right. to use it. And, and that's one of the reasons we shifted was so people could use that doctrine card and it not create a rules quandary, yeah. you know. So it was kind of, I don't know, I thought it was just kind of cool that it adds another dynamic to deployment. And it definitely did uh, sneak up on some people who weren't familiar really with the way high cover works at the end of the turn there. So, it, yeah, I think it just is keeps everybody on their toes. It's a good switch. Yeah, yeah. It uh, it seemed to be pretty good that people used it to tactical advantage. It did seem to surprise a few people how high cover works and how quick people can get out of high cover and into the middle of the fight. But, you know, those are the rules. And that's the, that's the good thing about using Scenario 2. I think it really gives us an opportunity to, uh, to use the full gamut of the Blood Red Skies rules and the traits. So, Brett, did you uh, see anything different with it being Scenario 2 versus Scenario 1? No, just that high cover thing. I saw at least one game where it seemed decisive, right? I, like I think what you suggested, maybe somebody was napping and all of a sudden, next thing you know, they've got uh, you know a whole element of bad guys in their shorts. It, might, it looked like it might yeah. have been a surprise. Well, especially if you are, uh, you know, disadvantaged because you've been outmaneuvered or whatever, and you think uh, the high cover coming in a long way away isn't a factor, and then those guys dive, so they automatically show up on the board advantaged, then they dive uh, to be neutral, and they can still shoot at you when they get across the board, so or get you know halfway through the board. Uh, so it's it's pretty powerful, uh, especially as we saw with a lot of the faster fighters. So if you know, if you're already playing a speed eight fighter and now you're diving another two inches, so you're getting 14 inches, you know, you, you literally are almost halfway across the board. You are shooting halfway across the board. So, um, it's, you're right there at, you know, effectively 20 inches out of 24. So, uh, you're able to range most everything in the middle. It's, uh, it's pr pretty strategic if you haven't taken it into account, but you know, it's like everything else. Uh, scenarios will change. Uh, people have asked for us to roll in attack scenarios, bomb scenarios. That gets a little tough. You know, we'll have to look at it after this year uh, and see if there's a way to do that because it's always good to have a better variety uh, of scenarios. Did you get any feedback from players after the before or after the tournament about the change? Uh, everybody seemed to to be fine with it. Or I should say the majority of everybody. There, there are always one or two people that are like, "Hey, I think you know scenario one is more of a pure uh, kind of tournament scenario," and and I get that it has the most constraints on it. But I wanted to be able to use the most doctrine and theater and and all the other cards and and kind of open up your ability to use the whole board. So, I I I do not think scenario two is unbalanced. It's not like playing scenario three where one bad die roll and <laughs> the scenario is over in a turn. Uh, but I, I think it's, it's challenging enough that it forces people to do things a little bit differently. All right. Well, let's talk about the big ugliness that we'll, we'll hit a couple times here. Uh, we changed the heavy fighter point discount, as I'll call it to 15 points. Um, part of that was we'd only seen the heavy fighter rule used a couple times. So, you know, in some discussions, people, 
with their <clears throat> quote unquote empirical math that they were giving us were telling us that 15 points was too much of a discount and that uh, that it was totally going to break everything and there's no way you can use 15 points. You, you have to use 12.5 or something. It's not 10, but it's not 15. Uh, so it, maybe it's like Warlord's miniature sizes is 13.72618 for millimeters. I don't know. But uh, – People gave us a lot of grief about 15 points, but we went with it. Uh, in this this listing, we'll have two multi-engine aircraft that could be flying as heavy fighters. Uh, we'll talk about a little bit, some some weirdness that went on there. Uh, but uh, the 15-point discount, I think, is, is worth keeping for this whole year because the heavy fighters with a 15-point discount did not dominate the tournament. So um, I don't think that five-point difference, you know, caused anyone to clean to clean house so we're going to keep that in there we're going to run it for the rest of the year and see how it goes uh if everybody suddenly uh, starts rolling people up with bow fighters then <laughs> we'll realize we made some mistakes and we'll fix that any thoughts on the 15 point discount i you know i i'm sure i've been told this before and i think it might even be on the um the document in ready room that um, master list where it has the points methodology Yes. What is the, is there an arbitrary points addition, you know, on top of the stats for just being a multi-engine aircraft? 20. Agile 20. multi-engines are 20. Okay. So that's why I think 15 isn't too much. You're still giving them a little, little bit of a bonus for that extra boom chit. Um, but yeah, it's not, uh, it's, it's not the same as single engine, but it's not, uh, not totally, um, out of out to lunch, kind of like I think the the ten point difference was. Yeah, it seems like. I mean, on the surface, it would seem like having that extra endurance, if you will, would give you an advantage in a one hour game. You know, if it when you're playing in a tournament and there's a strict time limit, right? But right. Uh, it certainly was not on display at the tournament. Didn't see anybody like really outlasting in a significant way to win the game with a well. The thing that is kind of interesting to me is even though you have theoretically less aircraft, uh, you end up with about the same boom chits till you get boomed out. It's, it's not like, um, even with a 10 point discount that I think is too less, it's not like you're dramatically different number of boom chits. It's not like you're getting, you know, five multi-engine aircraft out there. You're still only getting four of them, uh, maybe five if you have really unskilled pilots, but it's, uh, it's it's not like there's a significant advantage there. So as soon as the boom chits start happening, and especially if you keep dropping advantage and gaining back advantage, and you're kind of you're being boom chit farmed as a as a um, multi engine aircraft, then you know you're kind of you're still going to end the game pretty quickly. So um, I think there's some more analysis to be done. I don't think we've seen the last of it, um, and I think we'll just have to try it. Do you think you're more vulnerable to getting boom farmed if uh, you're multi engine? I think you can be so, and I'm going to say this piece of it because everyone will will immediately say no, no, you're not. Uh, as long as you don't take damage when you're disadvantaged, get theoretically shot down for the first engine, you're just as as boom farmable as any other uh, you know single engine aircraft. And then because you get that other second boom shit to get shot down or second engine hit to get shot down, plus your shoot down boom chit, you theoretically give one more boom chit. So I'm not sure that it balances out. I know Steve probably has some thoughts on this. You've been pretty vocal at times about how it's not helpful. It's actually counterproductive. Yeah, I, th I think it, I think like you just said, then when you get, so you get the extra boom chit for the engine, but if you don't get shot down, like in consecutive turns, you're actually giving up boom chits, like you said, because you lost yeah. the boom chit, you didn't get shot down, but then when you get boomed out, you're like, have all of a sudden, like all the boom chits, or, you yeah. know? So well, I think it, yeah, I just, yeah, I don't it, know. I'm against the heavy, the, the twin engine rules are like the one part of this game that I just freaking, I just cannot get, I just cannot come to grips with the. Yeah, with the, I, I find yeah. having I have a hard time getting it right, and especially if we see more multi engines in tournaments, I think it may be interesting. We may have to watch the tables closer and see how people are playing them, just because they are confusing rules. Uh, and and Andy even admits that he goes, "Hey, they didn't they didn't turn out the way we wanted. We thought we had something with Agile, um, but 
realistically, it didn't make everything as uh, as straightforward. So I guess my my question with the with the multi engine rules, and this isn't like a tournament thing, so it's probably kind of like could wait for another episode, I guess. But like, why not just make some type of card mechanic that takes into account? you know, having two engines, like super deep pockets, yeah. or extra deep, you know, <laughs> like rather than have this whole separate offshoot of rules that nobody really understands how it works. You know, I, I feel like there's other mechanics there that would essentially do the same thing. And then we'll just well, kind of simplify I, tournaments. And, simplify I, and I think you just hit the, the nail on the head. That part of the problem is when we talk about some of these aircraft going to single engine and they suddenly get deep pockets. Well, but deep pockets is a, one time and usually half as many aircraft as you have. And so, so it gets some weirdness in there. There, there certainly would be a capability to have some other trait that does something with, with discarding boom chits um, because you just, you get this weird um, boom chit balance is kind of the best way I can say it. You know, how many can you discard versus how many do you absorb without being shot down? So yeah, or maybe it's a trait that doesn't even have to do with boom chits. Maybe it's a trait that like your first disadvantage shoot down is like a mulligan kind of, you know, like, oh, you don't get an extra boom chit, but you just don't go in the drink on that one. I don't know. It's just the the multi-engine rules are are very, very confusing to me. I was gonna ask you, could you um just point them with the traits and the firepower and stuff that they had, take the 20 points off, run them as single engine? Would that cause real problems in a tournament setting? Just Playing them just like every other plane. I don't think play. it would. I mean, I think I think where you might find a little bit of uh, weirdness, and we have to look at the point values, is for multi-engine agile fighters with turrets. So you got the one ten with a with a gun in the back. Uh, does that create any? And normally the firepower is so low that the odds are so low they're going to hit because they're shooting without pilot skill added to it. They're just shooting uh, pure pure firepower dice. So I don't think it's a dramatic shift. Is that not accounted for in the points methodology, that that turret? I am not clear how it is because, once again, the odds are going to be totally different than the odds of regular firepower. So I'd have to go look at, and I should say, as I have the the, uh, master list open right now. I think a 110 normally is 48 points, which is quite a bit higher, I think, than even the P-38, right? Well, and, well, and then if you dropped it to, to 28, I'll have to put on my reading glasses to <clears throat> read this. Um, turret, uh, basically, you just add the firepower uh, in that facing. So that would only add really uh, for the 110. I'm pretty sure it's a one. It's a firepower one in the rear. Yeah, rear turret, firepower one. Um, so that only bumps it up by a point. So I, you know, I don't think that's a dramatic difference um, for for that capability. So. Under the single engine fighter rules, it might work perfectly, perfectly fine. All right. Well, we've kind of beat the <clears throat> heavy fighter piece to death, and we'll beat it again here in a little bit. Uh, let's talk about the tournament itself. Okay. We had nine players plus a late show. Uh, we could have had an even 10, but what happened was uh, so we, we asked one guy to kind of wait on the other player. They played a late game. Uh, they probably could have pitched into the tournament, um, but we just, it got got too difficult at one point and sinking everyone up. So apologies to our late show guys, uh, but be on time. <laughs> and I know there's a lot of constraints. A lot, a lot of things going on at Adepticon. It's tough to get to your events. Uh, I do want to say, though, Mike Lewis is once again our hero. I just spent uh, the last weekend uh, gaming with him here in Huntsville. He was down for a Blood Bowl tournament. Uh, we were uh, playing a, a lot of different stuff and uh, drinking beer, hanging out. Uh, watching the craziness go on at the uh, at the comic book and pop culture convention, um, but it was uh, it was good to catch up with him. He took a, a lot of help, uh, or he was a lot of help for us uh, in all of our events, but especially in the tournament. He took the late show player, played with them, uh, and kind of let them uh, get some games in, even though they'd uh, missed the start of the tournament. So, Mike, once again, I owe you beer. Uh, you're my hero. All right, so let's talk about the results. First place. Uh, John Dudkowitz with his LA5FNs. So those are speed eight, uh, 403 miles an hour, agility two, firepower two, rapid roll, poor quality, 31 points. Um, and I don't have his list sitting here in front of me. I wish I did because I would then tell you what his traits were for, because I think he had an ace in there. Uh, but uh, so that aircraft, you know, on 
on face value is kind of right in the sweet spot for points to spend in a tournament without running a, a, a swarm or a heavy list. 31, 32, that all the way up to about 35 is kind of about the maximum um, I, I really think you want to run. Um, but the nice thing is with rapid roll and firepower too, uh, you're kind of putting the hurt on people, almost like a cheater spitfire, which we'll see here in a second. Um, but uh, what are y'all's thoughts on the LA5 FN? It looks like a value to me. I mean, I'm comparing that to like a 109E with that firepower two and speed eight. I mean, already you're, I think, a lot better in a in a in a one hour game. And yeah. I like rapid I, roll. I, I like rapid roll because it really gives you that max turn. It doesn't allow you to make uh, a face in the middle of your uh, move like tight turn does. But realistically, when you want to either get someone off your tail or move into an immediately attacking position, uh, that that uh, rapid roll helps. It it doesn't help you make that last minute turn uh, to face the the aircraft to, to tail, but it at least allows you to kind of get inside their turn circle and threaten them. What are your thoughts on it, Steve? Uh, I'd say once again, poor quality turns out to be like absolutely meaningless, right? Like oh, yeah. nobody cares if you have poor quality. And well, and John learned from last year with poor quality, you just start in the uh, start in the clouds. You know, he saw it firsthand last year. Observing his game, he actually started in high cover with an element of right. those guys. So yeah. it's like, man, you start in high cover with those. Poor quality is like totally out the and window, that's the right? funny thing because it's only a minus one so if you roll a five or a six you're in high cover and so he rolled a six and so he's got a five so he's still in high cover so yeah poor quality reduces the odds he's in fi- high cover but you know what the fact is when you start in high cover then it's not a problem at all um so it's, it's not a significant significant drop uh in your uh um, in your advantage and especially the way that advantage is done in scenario two it's it's a good compromise i think so poor quality not a big deal. Not worried about it. Um, I didn't get a chance to really watch his games in detail to to be able to kind of debrief his uh, you know aircraft placement and how he how he did all those things. Uh, but it looked like he definitely had learned from last year because last year he was flying IAR eighties. We thought IAR eighties were going to break the tournament. They didn't. Uh, sorry, John. <laughs> but uh, he definitely learned from from last year and I think did a really good job uh, rolling in there with the LA five FNs and using them to their strengths and obviously getting first place. All right, second place, also a cheater aircraft, the Spitfire 5B, non-tropical, uh, Dante Adrosky flying that one. So it's a speed seven, agility two, firepower two, tight turn for 32 points, uh, obviously because of the value of tight turn. So any surprise we saw Spit 5Bs out there? Now that's my plane. That I, I maintain that is the best aircraft to use for a tournament. I, I really, truly believe that. I think that tight turn you know, at that point value, uh, it's an easy plane to play, right? So if you're a new player, I feel like the Spitfire is super easy plane to play. Uh, yeah, I think, I think that is the go-to plane for tournaments. Yeah. I I think it is a sweet spot. Brett, what are your thoughts? Yeah. I always like firepower too. I think single trait with tight turn. I mean, in a tournament setting, you just got cards to burn. Uh, when I'm playing against that with my, uh, with my denial list, it's tough because, you know, I'll, I'll try to do, I know your type and deny those tight turns, but it went a single trait and you got six planes maybe on the table. That's yeah. A, that's well, a, and, and you're, the odds are you're going to lose. I know your, your type in that, you know, in that reroll. Cause I believe it's a pilot skill check, right. To get it back, uh, as your ace. And so you've, he's got to, you've got to be within, I keep forgetting. I know your type has a range to it. I should probably remember that. Um, but uh, yeah, the, the odds of you using it multiple times versus them still exploiting uh, their tight turn is is not good. So the the fact of the matter is uh, single single cheater traits, as I call them, those kind of aircraft. I think they are still the the sweet spot because they allow you to modify your turn circle. They allow you to maneuver differently than you would normally. Um, so you're going to out. You're going to. You're going to. I shouldn't say out maneuver. You're going to fly better than your opponent. Um, but that's the key to having a denial list or something that's then going to keep them from regaining advantage. So you'll you won't be able to counter necessarily their um, their tight turn or their rapid roll. But you or no stalling. I should say. I shouldn't leave no stalling out of that one. You'll you'll have to counter those. Yeah, I was uh, doing as best I, you can. But I was doing a little ahead. list hammer before before the tournament and. Uh, 
zeros kind of floated to uh, kind of the top for the yeah, same reasons. I, I really like no stalling. You know, maybe it's just me because it's the super tight turn. Um, but I, I think I think no stalling is pretty powerful. And I was surprised that the midway set's been out as long as it has been and no one is flying zeros in a tournament. I think vulnerable just um, because other people are flying such heavy firepower aircraft that by the time you get to the odds that they're flying, let's say a, a pot skill three, firepower two, the shift from five to six dice is still a significant step up. And then if they're flying a swarm list, then the step step from, you know, two dice and firepower one in a yak or whatever, you know, that that step up from three to four is still a significant step up. So I think if your opponent was like Rhonda flying Corsairs with rockets, then that extra die is not that not that much of an odd shift at that point. Um, but for almost all the other aircraft, the die for vulnerable is a is a significant odd shift. I think with the LA fives you can in the spits too, you can be pretty aggressive. I think if I was playing those traits on the zero, I'd probably play defensive. I think all my like yeah, ace traits I, and defensive tactics, all that combined with the snow stalling is probably the way I would go. Yeah. I, th- I think with a zero, knowing that I have vulnerable, I would spend a lot of time out maneuvering and using uh, no stalling to get somebody into a, a low probability of shoot down uh, deflection shot but still be able to take a deflection shot on them. And then hopefully next turn play, no stalling again, and maybe even get in behind them. So we'll see. Uh, hopefully people will start playing zeros in some of the tournaments and we'll see uh, see how they roll. Maybe uh, maybe I'll have to step into the tournament myself in <laughs> Twisted Lords and fly zeros. Okay, third place, uh, Matt Doyle. Yeah, the infamous Pat Doyle's son, Matt. He uh, took third place out there, F6F Hellcats, uh, flying those at speed eight, agility two, firepower two, rapid roll, robust, and 39 points. Yeah, we normally think of that as kind of the top end of the single engine fighter. You know, it's, it's a lot of points at 39. Um, but, uh, but Matt did really well with those. What'd you guys see out there? Uh, the one thing, you know, that's interesting when you look at that, when you compare that to the LA5N, right? And I'm just trying to do the math on an actual calculator, not in my head before I make myself look like an idiot. Uh, <laughs> 700 again, points. We're good. Right? No, but so it's an 822 aircraft, but it is uh, 39 points instead of 31, right? So is right. the robust essentially worth one less plane, right? Because at 38, 39, you figure six planes, you can add an extra plane in there. Is having that robust card worth sacrificing a plane for? And I just, I mean, I don't think it is. Yeah, I start to sweat at 36 points. That's where I start to like, uh. (laughs) (laughs) I don't know, because looking at the Hellcat with rapid roll and robust, the... I'm so used to playing robust. And I guess if I'm thinking about most of my other opponents being firepower two, you know, pot skill three, that one die shift is still, is still in a strategic area. Um, they're not, if it's a, if it was an ace with firepower two and you're shooting seven dice. Okay. The difference from seven to two, not that, not that dramatic, but most of the lists were not ace heavy. So I think, I think robust can still have a pretty big impact. You only have half as many of them as aircraft, obviously, because you've only got, um, you know, you got two traits out there, but it's, it's not as dramatic in the wildcat versus zero pairing. So like when we would always play the midway starter set or play the, the blood red skies digital, uh, those robust cards, because you had one of them for every wildcat would just screw up the zeros and the zeros were already firepower one. So it wasn't like they had a lot, uh, of firepower there to to do some damage. So uh, I, I think if you were fighting a swarm uh, or someone with low firepower, that probably would be it would be a key card. I think though, as you like I said, as you get to the higher firepowers, it doesn't doesn't do as much for you. Any other thoughts on the top three before we move on? All right, we're going to kind of gloss over the others. We're not going to talk about them uh, in detail. Uh, we saw uh, KI-43, two Bravos again, Oscars uh, out there. Um, the uh, the Oscars came in fourth place. They were, you know, obviously a uh, – they're a good aircraft. They obviously have no stalling. That helps. Um, but uh, but there were some, some tough fights out there, so they didn't make it into the top three. 
mosquitoes were out there again. I was uh, was happy to see that uh, they did decently, uh, but they didn't um, they didn't really didn't really sweep the field. So um, it, the the jury is still out. They were not using uh, rockets, uh, as I recall, unlike uh, what we saw in Gathering of Eagles. Um, but obviously that uh, that points discount did help them. I got to look here something. I'm going to go dig back up the uh, the listings and let's see here if I can find it. So when we stack them all out there and look at the final scores. All right. So the P38Js and the KI50, uh, the, the Oscars, KI43, two Bravos, were both solidly in that fourth space. Um, now... I think it's interesting. We'll talk about the P-38s here in a second. But looking at the Oscars and the P-38s, those two aircraft, uh, I think rules-wise, are totally different. Uh, very different flying airplanes. Yet, they were both in the middle. And, of course, it was Dan Dion and Don Gilmore uh, flying those two. So, obviously, skilled pilots uh, working both of those. Um, but then the rest of the aircraft kind of started to fall into a 30 points and below category. So, what does that mean? Uh, that means one win two losses uh, or two draws with a lot of boom shits out there. Um, so the rest of the aircraft, uh, for whatever reason, seems to underperform a little bit, but let's talk about what we had out there. So we had, as I bring up my show notes again, uh, we talked about P-38Js. Dan Dion had those. Uh, Rhonda had her F4Us out there. Yak-9Ds uh, made an appearance out there. Uh, that's, a, the that's, a, that, that's, that's one I was curious about. Yak-9s, I think. Yeah. Just doing a little list hammer, look good. Yeah, Yak Nines uh, did not do great. Uh, they weren't the lowest, but they were solidly in the bottom third uh, out there. Um, and then uh, you had the uh, F4F Wildcats. So um, amongst amongst all the aircraft, the uh, the obviously the rapid roll, tight turn kind of aircraft were the high performers. Uh, the others uh, without those traits were not. So, all right, let's talk a little bit about this whole single engine versus heavy fighter uh, debacle. <laughs> so, for everyone who watched the stream and was a little confused, we were confused as well. So, when the P-38 player showed up. They were, their points list, their traits and everything was set as the P-38 single engine. Now we can argue about it till the cows come home, but the tournament packet clearly stated heavy fighters. Nowhere in there did it say single engine P-38s or P-38s as a single engine fighter. So we're going to make people comply. We're going to make them fly, fly with our rules. Uh, and we tried that and things got messed up and people got uh, confused because the traits are different. Because when you look at the P-38 single engine fighter trait, it it tries to compensate for that, that second engine. So it has deep pockets. So if you look in there and you look at the P-38J, and I'll scroll back up real quick. So the J is a single engine, has deep pockets and great climb. Yet as a heavy fighter, it's uh, heavy fighter optional rule. It's heavy hitter and great dive. So it couldn't be two opposite sets of traits th when it goes from single engine to uh, to multi to multi engine heavy fighter. That's really hard on tos, um, and, and I think. Uh, people will get confused. People will be used to playing it one way inside their club and. You know, suddenly have played it maybe a different way at the tournament. Um, so I think if if any of the agile or heavy fighters or the P thirty eight with the single engine rules show up, uh, you'll have to take a look at it. It was kind of a squirrely eyebrow. Um, the The reality is, you know, we we say fly it as a heavy fighter. Um, if you want to fly it as the single engine in your tournaments or in your events, go ahead. Not a big deal. Don't care. You can do what you want. Um, just just make sure you have people grab the right traits because none of them are the correct traits on the card. And so, uh, the J model specifically needs to be, needs to make sure that we're, uh, that we get that correct when we use the heavy fighter rule thoughts on the J itself, single heavy, single versus heavy fighter. I was looking at it, uh, giving it a look for revamping the, um, 
furball list because it's kind of in that it, it, in, at the discount it's sort of in that range of points You're right but it's also a great climb aircraft yeah no, so, <laughs> right so i kind of put that off but because you know i'm not real familiar with p38 but i was looking to get at the master list because of that other thing and um that's where i was saying it kind of got confusing for me i didn't realize that the methodology to come up with like uh single engine stuff they change the traits and the points you know it's not it wasn't obvious to me that's what i should expect until i was looking at harder in the list on the master list i think you know sometimes kind of like i was saying before like maybe keep keep the traits the same but just reduce the points and make everything play like a single engine but whatever it's all good it's nice to see people trying new things and it's you know it was cool to see mosquitoes and p38s and um you know as we do more of it i guess people will pay attention to the uh, packet and stuff. Uh, I went and I looked at it again and I misspoke. Agile is plus 10, multi-engine is plus five. So 15 totally discounts all the, the multi-engine. So I, you know, we'll see. We'll, we'll see how that uh, plays out. But, you know, kind of like you say, you got to realize what the traits are when you go to single engine and see, see how that works out. Maybe, maybe there's still a hole in the effectiveness of what uh, each of these different, um, aircraft traits is versus their point values. Uh, so, you know, we'll have to play through and, and see what we think. Oh, I would say for me, not so much the J, but looking at the P38L, yeah, the way those traits change and you get deep pockets and rapid roll, like that to me with that 15-point single-engine version is is pretty enticing when you're looking at the L version. Right. But... For the J, I think there's just other planes that essentially do the same thing as that for uh, you know a couple points less. So I'm not sure well, why. So choose let's talk about the weirdness that is in the the master list because the the prices in there are not reflective of core Blood Red Skies rules. So in in the rules itself, it gives no discount for heavy fighter. It just says if you want to fly it as a heavy fighter and make it use single engine rules for most everything except the number of boom chits awarded, then go ahead and do that. Um, we years ago said that was a 10 point discount. Uh, Ken took that and kind of formalized that in there. Um, but I think what we're saying now is we're not sure 10 points is the right number. So it's, it's kind of confusing to some players when they'll see a multi-engine agile, then a number for multi-engine heavy fighters, and they don't know why it drops 10 points. Well, it drops 10 points because a bunch of us, to include Ken, all said years ago, hey, let's cut 10 points off. Um, I don't know if that's the right answer or not. So that's why you'll see uh, like the P-38J Lightning is a 60-point aircraft, 50 points listed as a heavy fighter, we would have charged you 45 at the tournament uh, and then 39 for it as the single engine alternative. So potato, potato. But as you say, those, those trait changes, are the big thing, because when you look at like the L it's 59 as a agile, heavy, uh, agile, multi-engine 49 there, we would have charged 44 uh, for the heavy fighter optional rule and then 39 for the single engine alternative. And, um, you know, it's, it's just interesting to me how the, the traits flip there, you know, go from a great dive to a rapid roll. So a throwaway trait to a pretty good trait uh, and you get deep pockets, losing heavy hitter, of course, but at least you get you gain deep pockets. Um, so I, I think one of the biggest problems in this twin engine um argument i'm not gonna say discussion because it's not it's a full-on argument now uh is that the, the compression of a lot of things into a single trait so boom chits do a lot boom chits aren't just about getting shot they're not just about getting damaged they're not just about uh near-death experiences they're about long range bad weather things where a multi-engine aircraft excels so we have those aircraft as a single engine having deep pockets so they can you know play against that boom chit and not take that boom chit from a theater card or something else. But the reality is if the opponent doesn't use that theater card, then you have that many more boom chits you can give up um, or you can accept, I should say, and then use deep pockets to get rid of them. All right. Enough debacle on 
single versus multi versus heavy fighter. Let's talk about deep pockets. A situation came up where deep pockets, two deep pockets cards were played in the same attack. So there's kind of an FAQ question there. Can I take deep pockets when I fail, when I get shot, play it then? Then when I fail my dodge and I get shot down, can I play another deep pockets card to make that boom shit go away? Um, I don't know. What are y'all's thoughts on deep pockets in the same attack? Obviously a shoot down attack. I've thought about this quite a bit. And in the moment, the thought was, eh, no harm, no foul, right? You're still losing one boom chit. What's the difference? Right. However, as I've thought about it more, I'm saying absolutely not. You cannot do it because it's almost like a double advantage on that one time where if that person is not in a position to shoot again, you wouldn't even get to use that card during that turn. So it's almost like you're getting to use a card from another plane on that same plane. So that's really kind of changed my my thoughts on it. So you're because basically you, taking a rules as written with the, the caveat that you're only supposed to play one card per aircraft activation, attack, whatever. Correct. Kind of. And even... Even more than that, when you're talking about a plane where the traits are split, right? Right. Those traits are one trait per plane. So right. when a plane gets shot down, you're removing a, a trait card, right? right? So that's almost, to me, getting to use that deep pockets twice is almost kind of in the same vein as if you have a multi-ace list and you're using any ace card on any plane and not locking the ace card to the plane. Right. I feel like it's kind of straddling that that same line. So I would say absolutely not. You can only use one deep pocket card per per plane per turn like rules as written. Okay. Brett. Um well, are there any instances where you use two tight turn cards on a single plane in an activation? Nope. Yeah, I I I feel I'm in the camp with Steve on this one. I think uh you know, kind of in the spirit of some of the rules that are written about one card per activation or whatever, it seems to be my expectation for this play as well. I, I would agree with that, but I would also say that I don't think it changes the end state mechanic. Because at the end of the day, you're still getting rid of two boom chits and a four aircraft squadron. But I, I do agree that you are violating the intent of only one trait card being played per evolution. Now, the question is, if if an aircraft were, let's say, neutral, and they had someone shoot at them during the first fire phase, move like a, a half move, and then shoot them again in the pilot action phase, could they use two deep pockets cards there? Because it's two separate shooting actions, is it is are you still only allowed to play one aircraft per turn? Because then the same question comes up about robust. People have said, "Can I play two robust cards? Play one in the first shoot and one in the second shoot." I've been in a sense taking more aircraft cards away, but I'm also burning them uh, that much faster. Because because that also creates a weirdness as we as we kind of move from deep pockets to robust in a closed deck standard game kind of hand. Doesn't really matter. You're just going to burn through the cards. But in in a uh, open deck you're flipping them over until the next turn so you're not going to see them and it's not going to put cards back in the rotation so there is some weirdness with both of these uh with open deck specifically for robust deep pockets obviously goes away but um it's it's using card slots that may or may not be there because if you're playing closed deck you may not have two uh two deep pockets cards come up that fast between whatever ace cards you have, your trait cards, your theater cards. Yeah. You, you may not have, um, two deep pockets available. So I think that's probably one of the reasons you haven't seen it that much. Yeah. It was an interesting play too, the way it went down. Right. Because, and this certainly wouldn't happen every time it played like that, but the way it went down in this game is it was actually a plane got shot down. Right. Right. And the right. player still had no boom chits. Well, and actually so they had one like boom chit because remember they didn't play it on the first boom chit of the of the 
the game. So that was yeah, the ironic it was thing. Strange. Yeah. It, it just, it was just kind of like one of those things that you're like, what the hell just happened there? Yeah. Yeah. You know? And uh, yeah, but, and I was with you at first, but I've, I've since thinking about it, I'm thinking. <laughs> you since told me that I'm full of crap and I don't know what I'm doing. You're, you're yeah, no, I, I, I think it's interesting. I think it was something we have to tee up uh, to Andy and to the community at large. I think, most everyone I expect will probably side with the one card use per activation slash attack slash event. Um, because that, that kind of seems to follow the, the intent, the, how it is written and its intent, both, um, that you don't play a card multiple times in, in one event. Um, but I think when it, I think the problem is it's poorly worded because it says per turn, uh, in the actual rules, and it, and it doesn't say per aircraft activation, you know, et cetera, because you could play, you could be shot at by three different aircraft and play three robust cards in those three separate attacks and no one would second guess that. Um, but whatevs. Yeah. Hasn't something like that happened with, um, uh, oh gosh, I want to say it was, it wasn't great climb. Nah, I want to see that there's something like that where I got attacked multiple times in one of our campaign games and maybe I tried to use a card twice. Yeah, I, I know people have, have asked how robust works. Does it, does it stay on for your full turn? So you play it. If you get shot at in the first fire phase, you, you play a robust. Does that then allow you to still be robust when they shoot at you, uh, for a pilot action? You know, there's, yeah, I, there's I bet it was something like, like a high altitude performance and I got to keep it with the, with the test and then got shot at again. But yeah, it's almost like another activation, right? Cause I, it's not my aircraft activation. He's, you know, I'm using it to defend myself against something that's happening to me that he's, I don't know. It's, it's, it is a quandary. Cause so I was trying to rack my brain and think, is there any time when I use a card a couple of times like that? And maybe not on my own, like certainly not for like great dive or, but, uh, right. I don't know. Maybe, maybe it does happen. Yeah. I just, I, I don't think it. it happens that much. I think, I think robust, uh, deep pockets and, um, a, a couple of the interactions with uh, uh, doctrine cards can be a could feel like they could be a multi, you know, multiple times per turn. Um, so, and, and you know, the same thing would happen for superior armament or any one of the theater cards that you 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 know used or kept or had a way to to regain them. Um, you know, it, it 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 would be a question of how do you how do you do that in one activation. Uh, okay, so we're going to talk about just a couple admin issues. Uh, we didn't really have a separate ref and judge. We had Casey helping out a little bit. We were uh, obviously three of us running the streaming there, so we were not probably as engaged. People still had the ability to ask questions. They they fielded some stuff through Casey. We, we answered a few questions as we were watching, um, but it certainly was not like other tournaments where there was a judge's table. But I'll be honest, when I was the judge for – a lot of the other tournaments very rarely did someone come to, to me with a dispute. Um, what do you guys think with the impact of that with, with us having three people face down in the stream at that point? I'm saying a, a ref is totally unnecessary. Okay. You need to know the rules when you show up. And even in blood, red skies, we have a lot of new players, but the rules are so easy that unless it's something crazy, you're going to know the rules. Uh, and I mean, I, I guess I just kind of look at the simplicity of the game, right? Where if somebody's really trying to like get, oh, get one over on you with the rules, you're probably going to be like, wait a second, that doesn't seem kind of right. And probably just be able to work it out on your own. Right. I, I really don't think an official ref is, is necessary. Well, I, I think that's one of the good things about the blood red skies communities. They do work it out on their own generally. And most everyone gives the benefit of the doubt to new players, uh, we've had people actually DQ themselves because the new player didn't catch them using a, a, a card wrong. And they, you know, said, Hey, I, I feel like I cheated, even though the other player didn't call me on it. Um, but I, man, this is one that I'm just not, I'm not sure about Brett. What are your thoughts on having an official judge that is separate than the streaming uh, personalities? <laughs> yeah, I think it's, if you're going to do it, it's got to be somebody separate and uh, somebody who could roam around and like, you know, make you know service all the tables that are out there if a question comes up like hey what do we do again for the i think it's going to be more of that kind of thing not just like rules clarification i don't i don't really see right. a dispute really going down i just don't expect that but you know it could happen but i think it's going to be more or less just 
maybe quick rules clarification kind of thing and you know to keep to help keep the thing moving along so it doesn't stall yeah. on a certain table I, I think we get away with a lot because we have a good community where most everyone plays well together uh, and even when people get super competitive uh, I watch some of our super competitive players not to uh, name names <laughs> Dendion um, but I, I watched them pull back a little playing against other opponents and and realize that okay uh, play to win but I'm also going to be kind enough to you know to, to help out the other player and to not um, just go in there and smash somebody because they're a less skilled or less experienced player. So I, I think we have a false sense of security about that. I think if we were fly, playing something like X-Wing uh, or playing something like 40K, we would have felt the lack of a ref a lot more. Um, but that's probably a lot because of the community and that people aren't playing smash face lists and, and trying to just table the other poor uh, BRS player. So. Let's keep it that way. Then I don't have to have another judge. But I will bring up the point that uh, like X-Wing had a separate organization judging the X-Wing tournament. Gold Squadron was just doing the streaming and they were just commenting on the stream. It was totally different people actually running the uh, the world's um, tournament event. So the, different than the guys that were streaming. So. Yeah, I feel like that would be the thing, right? Like if when you're talking about just scope of what needs to be done, right? right? If if we weren't running the tournament at all, right? If we were like, hey, we're gonna show up, we're gonna stream, there's a different tournament organizer. They're just right. sending guys to art, they're sending whatever two guys to the main table that they want to send, and we're just kind of com- commenting on it, you know, that that would be a total game changer. Right. And I think there is a real lack of understanding, even in a 10 player tournament in a game that is as simple as blood red skies, <laughs> how much goes into running the tournament, right? Just collecting everybody's list, making sure you got your point values, right? Making sure like making sure you get your pairings right for the next game, then collecting oh, yeah. the results, trying to do it in a three hour time slot. Like it's very people who they don't understand everything that goes into that. Cause it seems very, simple but there's a lot that goes into that there is and and i won't make excuses but it is kind of funny because you you use a lot of your brain power just running the tournament and making sure things are moving smoothly and then trying to comment and and do that on top of it makes it a little bit difficult well and that that kind of leads into the issue about the rules packet so uh we kicked out a rules packet on 8 jan uh, we referenced that rules packet inside the Adepticon event text, put a link to the GOE page, said, go get the rules there. And I think everyone who's played our events knows that. If you're a new person and you didn't get the packet, I get that. If you've played at every GOE since the first one, I don't have much sympathy for you. <laughs> you know where to get the tournament packets. Uh, but that is a consideration is, is how do you put out the, the information? I know, uh, like for the aeronautica, we put a lot of information out on the website. We put it out or on the Adepticon website, we put it out through emails, uh, from the Adepticon staff. Um, we, I think kind of thought the blood red skies players were going to know where to find everything, uh, since we told them, but apparently not. So there are questions about the tournament packet. We, we need to do more about that. We need to just make sure we, we blanket, uh, everybody with tournament packets. So there's no excuses. So when you come to me and bitch and try to award me the blue Falcon trophy for you having an illegal list, I will shove it up your ass sideways. <laughs> I think the other thing too, that honestly we could do with the rules packet that would clarify is actually make it like a whole packet, right? So like, yeah, yeah we know yeah, the yeah. master list is out there. We know the scenarios are out there, but if we just take the, the tournament packet, and then we put our version of the master list in it, right? So it's like, okay, this is a 15 point instead of a 10 point. And right. just like, look, whatever's on the ready room, whatever's on the rule, whatever, whatever you're getting your information, this rules packet has everything in it you need. So if you don't have a Facebook account, if you're on, you know, whatever it is, Parlor, and that's where you get your Blood Red Skies information, <laughs> you're you're gonna get it. You know, it's all in this packet. January sixth, Blood Red Skies players. Oh wait, no, sorry. Yeah. Uh, so I I think that's a good idea, but like everything else, I'll say hours in the day, and that you know, as you and I have always talked about, it's there's a lot of cool things you could do with tournament packets. It comes down to hours in the day. You know, it's 
shit, man. Maybe I should find someone else to do the Aeronautica tournament because that, or Aeronautica event, because that took a lot of my time uh, writing custom scenarios and stuff and putting them in six point font just so I'd make uh, Steve go blind. Uh, <laughs> uh, all right. Well, so. I'm going to make a super negative statement here. I'm going to make Andy Chambers cry, but that's not my intent. Um, the The tournament scene, I believe, is literally why BRS continues to not be a first-rate system. And I don't say that because I love tournaments, because I freaking hate tournaments. But tournament scene drives participation. Um, and... Until we get, and I, and I jokingly in the show notes say, a credible organization, implying that we're a bunch of ass clowns. But until we get multiple credible organizations doing tournaments, then I think it's going gonna, it's gonna to be a little bit of a hurdle and that we're going to have people doing some cool narrative play. But people won't want to participate in a tournament circuit because this, the tournaments are all going to be a little different. Um, I don't know how you solve that other than me drafting people and paying them a lot of money to run tournaments. Uh, that's not going to work because we don't have that money in the lead pursuit budget. Those stakes were expensive. Uh, <laughs> so we, we got to figure that out in the community. Um, I think, I think blood red skies has a lot of potential. If people get behind a tournament scene and making a tournament scene across the U S and Oh, by the way, warlord funding us to have a freaking tournament tracking software, like every other first rate game has, um, then, you know, if, if they do that, then I think blood red skies has the potential to keep growing in that area. Uh, other than that, it's going to be a narrative game. It's going to be a game people play at their local club. Uh, maybe they play it when they roll into a, 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 a convention, but, they're probably going to go play big competitive or event games and not play blood red skies. Um, it's, it's just a, it's a constraint as much as I hate tournaments, they drive popularity. Any thoughts on my super negative De Debbie downer view of blood red skies tonight. Everybody's going to be playing campaign games in their garage with their bestie. <laughs> What are you talking about? It's <laughs> That's be the what way I'm hoping. That's what I hope when the uh, when the compendium comes out, everybody is just chomping at the bit to uh, uh, to play their campaign games, and they're like, "Tournament what?" You know, never heard of those guys. So I'll be happy with that. Yeah, I would agree with you, and I would add that you know it's a shame because the game is like lends itself so perfectly to tournaments because it, it plays quick, right? Plays super fast, and. It's fun to do the list building, right? Because you have a little bit of the list building, no, kind of like not. you have I hate fucking list building. <laughs> but it doesn't have, like, it's not really the kind of game where you're going to find a one meta and then just break the game and everybody's going to do the same thing, right? So it has right. the same list building of X-Wing, but it doesn't have the same fault as X-Wing where after six months, everybody's going to play the same two lists, right. right? Right. So it lends itself perfect to tournaments. It just needs to, like you said, it just needs to be kind of organized and yeah. streamlined so more and, people can run the same tournaments. Exactly. And I'll be honest, uh, we don't have the final say on anything. We just kind of grab the flag and ran out in the middle of the field and said, okay, we'll say what the U S tournament scene is. But, uh, if other people in other organizations want input, that's great. Contact us. You, you know how to find us. We're on Facebook, Instagram. Uh, you know, you can email us, you can go to the website and fill out a contact form. Uh, but the, the, the point is other people, if they, if other people would step up and do, uh, tournaments and to just kind of throw it out there and say, okay, we're gonna do a tournament. We will either use, our own packet or we'll use the lead pursuit GOE packet. Um, that's fine. I, I don't care if you discount heavy fighters, 25 points, doesn't bother me Do do what you want to do and, and make the, the tournament fun. And I think if we have a lot of people running fun tournaments, it will take a little bit of the stress off lead pursuit to feel like they're the ones kind of running the high end, high tier, high expectations tournaments, which are, which gets a little stressful. So any other thoughts on tournaments? I'm building a BF-110 list. You better do <laughs> yeah. it. You're going to have to come to uh, NashCon and play 110s or fly out to TLC. Don't you have, or are you taking some Boy Scouts on a adventure down the Yangtze River where they're going to eat snakes and, uh, you know, rebuild uh, 
desecrated Chinese temples and, and make them safe for, for nice Buddhist people all over the world. All while selling popcorn. All yeah. while selling popcorn. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. And, and saving cats out of trees or whatever else scouts do. Telling the truth the whole time. All right. Uh, any other comments, Adepticon wrap-up, final things anyone wants to say besides the next person that brings a single-engine fighter to a multi-engine tournament, I'm going to punch you in the face with a blue falcon. <laughs> what are the points for the Super B-17? Oh, God, I don't know. i got to go calculate the points. <laughs> i, I got to figure out what that is. And I, th- I think we need some nose art that says pink donkey on it for the, uh, for the B-17. So... We'll, we'll put that on there and then uh, then play the B-17 out at, uh, out at the Furball uh, for TLC. All right. Well, let me remind everyone, please leave us a review. Uh, those help other people find the podcast when you say wonderful things about us or if you also say terrible things about us. Either one works. Tell the truth. Don't blow sunshine up our butts. Uh, or you can drop us a line on Instagram, Facebook, uh, out there, not on Twitter, definitely not on uh, uh, on TikTok, certainly not <clears throat> politically active social uh, medias out there. Uh, but drop us a line or go to the website. There's a contact form there. Plenty of people recently have used that to ask questions and to also tell us uh, what a terrible job we're doing. So, hey, we'll take that as well. Um, but please give us that feedback and keep climbing for advantage. Isn't that the worst ending ever? Steve, you love it, don't you? You're on mute, so you can say all you want. I can say that's the worst ending nope, ever. It it's sucks. getting better every time. It sucks it's donkey growing. balls. <laughs> I, can tell you, I can tell it's growing on you. Oh, God, we need a new ending. <laughs> <laughs>